Welcome to Heal. This week on Heal, we talk all things mushrooms with ethnomycologist Jeff Chilton. The forgotten food, edible non-psychedelic mushrooms are packed with nutrition, antioxidants, immune-boosting, cancer-fighting compounds that, according to Jeff and me, should be a part of our daily diet. To be honest, there wasn't a big focus on medicinal mushrooms in med school, so I jumped at the opportunity to pick the brain of a guy with over 50 years of experience in the mushroom industry. Jeff began his education as an ethnomycologist in the 60s, is a published author, co-founder of Mycomedia, an international mushroom conference, a founding member of the World Society for Mushroom Biology and Mushroom Products, and in 1989 founded his own mushroom spawning company, Namex, introducing medicinal mushrooms to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry. It was awesome to sit and talk with him today. So join us as we take a deeper look at the biologically enhancing superfoods, medicinal mushrooms. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. All right, Jeff, this is so awesome. I'm so, 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 so happy to be here with you. Jeff Chilton, lots of awesome credentials you have. I'm not even going to, people can look up your full bio on our show notes, but background in ethnomycology and have been in the mushroom industry, it looks like for a long time, have lots and lots and lots of all kinds of things I'm sure we can get into with your history. And then also found origin founder of the world society for mushroom biology and products. That's pretty rad. So I'm looking forward to just getting to have diverse and eye-opening conversation about medicinal mushrooms in all sorts of different ways. You know, as you and I were talking about before we got started, I've highlighted ceremonial use of different types of plants, psychedelic active plants in my podcast before, but we have not yet talked about the whole world of medicinal mushrooms. And there's a ton to unpack here. So thank you so much for joining us on Heal. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you, Dr. Marshall. Cool. Where the heck should we start? Oh my. <laughs> well, well, you know what, where, where I do kind of like to start is actually just talking a bit about what is this organism that we call a mushroom? Cool. Okay. Great. So, yeah. so, so, you know, as a mushroom cultivator, and I started in 1973 on a very large commercial farm, we were growing 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year. While we were there, we actually had a scientist that was working in research and develop on a shiitake, oyster, and enokitake mushrooms, which at the time, none of those mushrooms were in the marketplace. So, so I was really deeply involved in actually living with mushrooms for 10 years while I was on that farm. I mean, literally oh living gosh. with mushrooms, with huge crops of mushrooms in huge rooms. And it was quite, have you, have you ever been to a mushroom farm? Not a farm. I have been around large crops of mushrooms in nature and few opportunities where they just come forth in massive abundance, but I haven't been to a farm. Very few people have, yeah. <laughs> so you're not alone. But but anyway, getting back to this organism, I mean, and, and as a mushroom grower, what do we use to actually grow mushrooms? They do not have seeds. Mm. 
what do we do? <laughs> How do we grow them? Well, mushrooms have spores. These spores in nature, in the natural world, they drift out on the wind currents, they land on the ground, they land on wood, they land on everything. And when conditions are right, they will germinate. And these spores will germinate into a very fine filament called a hypha. And when those filaments come together and fuse, they will form a network. That network is called mycelium. Mycelium is the actual organism. It's what we call the vegetative body. And normally we're unaware of the mycelium because it's embedded in what it's feeding on. So mm -hmm. it's underground, it's in that piece of wood. And when conditions are right, it will form a very small, what we call, you know, just let's say the hyphae of the mycelium coming together, very small little dot of mycelium, it will start to grow, it will grow go through all the stages of maturity to reach finally a mushroom stage. And as that mushroom matures, underneath the cap of the mushroom are gills. And those gills produce spores. And now we've completed the life cycle. And what's really important about this is that for example, when we're looking for a supplement, well, if we're looking for ginseng, it's the root. If we're looking for echinacea, yep. it's the flower. Yep. Ginkgo, it's the leaf. What in the industry they call the plant part is super important because if you get the wrong plant part, you're not getting any of the actual medicinal compounds you're looking for. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, the interesting thing about mushrooms is that, you know, you're walking along uh, in a, let's just say a path in a grassy area and, and you've, you've been doing it for days. And all of a sudden, one day you go, oh my God, look at that. It's a mushroom. It, it, it came out of nowhere. <laughs> well, actually that's not true. It was there all along, but until it reached a certain size, you didn't notice it. Yeah. And so, because a lot of people say, oh, it just comes out of nowhere overnight. No, no, that's not the case at all. Most mushrooms from start to finish take about, oh, two weeks at any okay. rate. So, and people should think about this psyllium in a way, kind of like a root system, but what it's doing out there, it is feeding on all of that organic matter that accumulates every year leaves, branches of trees, flowers, or any kind of perennial plants, who is going to break that down? Well, fungi, bugs, bacteria, all sorts of organisms are breaking that down into humus, in a sense, repurposing that so that plants and so forth can then animals can feed on it creates new food absolutely yeah. you know and so so it's really interesting that's what this mycelium yeah. does but but when we're talking about a mushroom product like a supplement three plant parts there is a spore there is the mycelium or is the mushroom and that ultimately is super important in terms of when you're purchasing a supplement, you know, and, and for, it's actually being harvested. It, it, well, yeah. and, and what is being put into those capsules and bottles right. that you're buying, you know, yeah. and, and it's got to say on there. And look, the mushroom is what has been used for 
thousands of years as food, as medicine, like in mm -hmm. traditional Chinese medicine, or for shamanic healing purposes, as in psychoactive mushrooms. So mushrooms have been around for a long time, and it is the mushroom form that we use in all these cases. So that's what we're after, not the spore, not the mycelium, in this case, specifically the mushroom. Is there, is there a differentiation between cap and stem for different species? Well, no, not really. The cap and the stem okay. will be made up of the same tissue same and they will have the same compounds in them. For, so for example, when we go to process the mushrooms that we grow and then turn into a extract powder, I mean, we use, we use the whole mushroom. We use everything, yeah. cap, stem, the whole thing. But you know, one of the things to remember, we do not take the substrate, what it's growing in, and extract that. It's like, no, we don't, we don't bring the dirt like you've got with a plant or something yeah. and put that into the product. No, you harvest the mushroom. And you know, what's so interesting about mushrooms is that every single mushroom you have ever eaten, whether it is cultivated or wild, it has been picked by hand. Hmm. No machines involved. It is a human being in those massive rooms growing mushrooms. They're in there and they are harvesting those mushrooms every one. by every single one. I mean, on a mushroom farm, that might be a billion mushrooms a year by hand. And that's interesting to bring into, you know, we can talk about quality control at a molecular level, right? Specifically. Then there's this other component. We we have this in, in herbal medicine as well. Like even as you mentioned, like echinacea, it's the flower and ginkgo, it's the root and these different components of the plants. And when in, in naturopathic medicine, there's even uh, a form of herbal medicine called gemotherapy that only harvests the actual like genetic material, the root tip and the actual bud of things. And it's a very different medicinal plant substance, like the herb itself has a different action than it would if you had the adult material. So there's right. like all this. And then we get into when was it harvested, on what conditions, what time of year, the humidity, the heat, the even some people will get into the state of full moon, new moon, what, you know, all you can get into all sorts of different components of it. And so just for me, that idea of the connection to our food, the connection to our medicine, that this was touched by a human hand. And there was that human intention going into it. And I recognize like there's just labor force in that component, but it's just different than, than as we get into more and more processed food and foods that are made by machines versus foods that are made by our grandmother. And we know how much love comes with that. Like, I love that that is specific to mushrooms, that they're all harvested by hand and there's that human connection to them. Oh, oh absolutely. I, I mean, look, one of the, the events that I will never forget is growing up, my grandparents were farmers. We went to their home for Thanksgiving. They had a huge garden where they would actually harvest and plant vegetables and so on. Besides the fact they were strawberry farmers, so they had huge fields of wow. strawberries. But their Thanksgivings were 
unbelievable. The food was incredible. And, you know, my, my grandmother was a fabulous cook and she was also, I mean, they worked so hard. I mean, they would put up all of these things every fall. They would harvest them and put them up besides the fact that they had to run the strawberry farm <laughs> through yeah. the seasons and harvest those strawberries as well. So yeah, absolutely how our food is produced. And, and let's face it, one of the huge issues we have today with health in, in North America and Western societies in general is processed foods. Yeah. There are too many people eating processed foods that, for one, are filled with sugar for the, for a large part. And two, just, you know, is there anything real in these? You look at the, the label and all the different ingredients in there and you're just kind of like, it's shocking. Yeah. We talk a lot about eating living food, food that still has aliveness to it is a great yes. way of, of re refocusing that conversation. Yes. So getting into mushrooms specifically, like for me personally, it's interesting. I literally took four long full-blown courses on herbal medicine to get through naturopathic school. Every year we'd have bot one, bot two, bot three. We went through this whole extensive thing. And there was like, short little line items like reishi good for blah 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 and lion's mane blah blah and then like moved on right and, and it seems like and i get there's fads but it actually seems like mushrooms are coming into a bit of a heyday in the medicinal world and there's a lot more focus and attention on them everything from like full-blown people saying i took 19 capsules of this and it majorly impacted cancer lymphoma immune system dysfunctions things along those lines is like from your breadth of experience in this industry. Can you speak more to some of the specific purposes of, you know, like if there were like five mushrooms in your daily diet or five mushrooms or the, what are your top ones and why? Well, let me just start that out in, in 1973, when I went to work on the mushroom farm, <laughs> classical nutritionists at the time said, well, Mushrooms have a great flavor. They, they could make sort of a garnish or something like this, very flavorful, but they have no food value. Why did, they, why did they say this? They said this because at the time, low calories meant there was nothing there for us. Ah, yeah. See, calories. No, no, food. It's got to have calories. We need the energy from it. And if it doesn't have any calories, it's a non-food. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, that mushrooms are relatively high in protein. They're mostly carbohydrate, but the carbohydrates are non-starch carbohydrates. Mushrooms do not have starch. They have a very slow-acting carbohydrates, mannitol. Trehalose. The, the, this, you know, you talk about a slow food movement. Mushrooms are a slow food. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> they, they, they are also very high in fiber. So we don't really digest them well. They're moving through high fiber. And that simply means that they're feeding our microbiome. Yeah. So a lot of the nutrients out of mushrooms come from that. But mushrooms are highly nutritious besides the, the protein and carbohydrates. And, and just to be clear, each mushroom has a different nutritional profile. It's not like 
an apple or an orange or something where it's pretty standard profile for all of them. All no. the varieties. Yep. Yes. Each one, each mushroom is different. So that when I'm giving you ranges, 20 to 40% protein, more or less 60% carbohydrates, very low in fat. They've got good levels of potassium, phosphorus, high in B vitamins, B1, 2, and 3. They are an excellent excellent food. And, and, you know, I I like to say that mushrooms are the forgotten food and the missing dietary link. That's what we lack in our Mm. North American diet. We need to put mushrooms into our diet. And there are so many back, back in 1973, there's one mushroom in the market, the, the agaricus mushroom, the button mushroom. That was it. That was all. We we actually introduced fresh shiitake into the market in 1978, and, and believe it or not, they bombed. The people who who bought them went, "Oh, they're they're a little bit too strong." And I'm like, "Strong? Have you ever eaten a shiitake mushroom?" Yeah. Oh man, they're yeah. my favorite edible mushroom. They are delicious. In China, they call them shanggu fragrant mushroom. Oh, the the aroma is amazing. The flavor is great. They have a wonderful aftertaste. I'm constantly telling people, put shiitake into your diet, put more mushrooms into your diet. And today we have as many as, oh, let's say six species. If you're in the right location in the United States, you'll find six different species in your market. We actually have a mushroom farmer at our public market in Rochester, New York, and they've got a full spread and you can get lion's mane and shiitake and oyster mushrooms. And And then they have the usual, you know, buttons and portabellas that you see more often, but yeah. Well, and, and, and here's one of the things that, that people need to understand too. And that is that growing mushrooms is expensive. Yep. Again, they're all harvested by hand. That that person that's at your farmer's market, he's charging a premium for those mushrooms. And believe me, he's only making $2 an hour. <laughs> I, I mean it. Small scale Having mushroom been farmers. you a mushroom farmer yourself. You have personal experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like to, you have to get up to a certain level, a certain scale before you're making money growing mushrooms. I mean, most of these small growers have a secondary source of income that's yeah. paying the bills. They're doing it out of just love of growing these mushrooms. And if they decide they want to actually make it a business, they've got to scale up to a certain level because when you take your mushrooms from the farmer's market into the supermarket or something, the supermarket says, well, I love your mushrooms. I want to have them, but you better bring them here every single week. If right. I'm going to give you the shelf space. Yeah. And, and so one of the issues is because they are expensive to grow, they're pretty expensive to purchase. For example, shiitake mushrooms in the U.S., USDA says that the shiitake farmer is getting $3.50 a pound for his shiitake mushrooms. Now, supplements are dried powders. Mm-hmm. You have to dry that pound of mushrooms out if you want to put it into the supplement space. So, so mushrooms are 90% water, like most vegetables. Now, all of a sudden, instead of getting 350 for that pound of mushrooms, now you have to get $35 for that same pound of mushrooms. The economics do not work 
for growing mushrooms in North America and putting them into the supplement market. Every single one of the specialty, let's call them mushrooms, goes into the fresh market. Mm. None of it goes into the supplement market. Okay because it is too expensive. So anytime you see a supplement and it says grown and made in the United States, sorry, that was not the case. They're selling you something else, not an actual mushroom. And, and, and look, in 1989, and look, I'd studied medicinal mushrooms during university, all during the 70s while I was working at the mushroom farm. In 1989, I went to my very first sort of like Asian mushroom conference in China. And I learned all through the 90s about the mushroom industry in China. I visited farms, I visited factories, I visited research stations. China has like a dozen different mushroom research stations. United States, we have one. Mm one station. So I made all sorts of contacts and started growing and importing mushrooms from China, turning them into extract powders. In 1997, I went to China with OCIA, the top organic certifier in the United States and held the very first mushroom certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997. I totally, totally believe in organic certification. Yeah. My company has been certified since 1992. It is important. Yeah. So we talked about processed foods. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I mean, just the food supply, whether it's in the US, Europe, wherever it is, it's so chemical laden. So all of our mushrooms are certified from high quality German certifiers. So that's very important because a lot of people just say, oh, China eating something from China? No, no way. Well, excuse me, but that's the only way you're, you're really going to get a mushroom supplement because it is too expensive to grow mushrooms in the United States and put them into the supplement market. Yeah. The economics simply do not work. Clear, <clears throat> clear. So now here we are, we've got the opportunity for mushrooms in our food and our diet. And I, it's, it's, ironic. I'm telling one on myself. So I was raised a vegetarian and in many vegetarian diets, there's a lot of conversations around mushrooms, particularly for the B vitamins and the protein and all of that. And then I left that, went to a paleo based diet and they dropped out of my diet. I just, I mean, I really like forgot or something. And now in the last five to six years, I'll be honest, I got back on the bandwagon and they're coming in strong. And so cooking with them and using them in my diet far more often, and also getting more interested in medicinal mushrooms on the supplement side. And, and it is, you know, particularly for the consumer is like, are, are all these created equal? How do I tell the difference? What are the things that I'm looking for here? You know, what's important to be looking for? So from your, I mean, you literally are boots on the ground in this. This has been your life's work. Tell us what it is that we want to be looking for. What are the important things to know in order to be able to work through the world of supplements and, and medicinal mushrooms? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I was talking to you a little bit about how we grow mushrooms and how, what do we use for seed? We don't, we don't actually use spores. No. What we use for seed, which is really cool, we use live mycelium. Hmm. So we grow mycelium out as seed. But here's the thing. 
we grow it out on a carrier. Okay, basically, we have to grow the mycelium out on something that then we can break up and spread it through whatever we happen to be growing our mushrooms in, whether it's a compost or wood or something else. So we grow the mycelium on a carrier, and one of these carriers is rain. So we'll let, let's say we, we grow out this live mycelium, and live, mycelium looks like mold. <laughs> it literally, you're going like, oh, what's that white thing growing on my bread that's now turning green? Well, that, that is a mold, and molds are fungi. They happen to be, it's interesting, the, this category can be divided into many divisions, but a couple divisions are what we call imperfect fungi and perfect fungi. Imperfect fungi, that mold, does not produce a mushroom. Or They're anything. only perfect if they produce mushrooms. That's right. That's, yes, that's exactly right. Okay. So, so in, in making this, what we call spawn, that's what our seed is called. We will grow this mycelium on sterilized grain. When it's fully grown, the, and the mycelium is normally white, all these grains will turn sort of white because it covers the grain. And then we, we take it out and we break it up and we spread it out. <clears throat> and every single grain is like a seed because from that one grain, the mycelium will jump off into our growing medium. Now, here's the rub. Companies in the United States <clears throat> grow the mycelium on grain, could be rice, it could be oats, then they dry it all out. And again, this is sterilized grain grown in a lab. They dry it out, they grind it to a powder, grain and all, mm. and then they sell it as mushroom. Mm. Now, it's not mushroom. Nope. Even the amount of fungal matter in this product is maybe... 10, 15%, the rest of it, unfortunately, is starch. So <clears throat> if you are <laughs> purchasing one of these products, what you're actually purchasing is just uh, grain starch mm. with very little fungal matter in there. So you're not getting the benefits of, of at all. And, you know, you look at this bottle and it's got a mushroom on it, a picture, and it says reishi mushroom. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're lucky, you turn it over and maybe it'll say mycelium. In the fine print, it might say myceliated rice or myceliated oats or something like that. Yep. But many companies who purchase those raw materials don't even put that on their labels. They'll just call it mushroom all the way through. And you think you're getting a mushroom when you're mostly getting grain powder. And literally, this supplement category, what we call mushrooms, 50% of the products there are this grain powder. Mm. So, so, you know, you know, I've, I, I, well, before COVID and everything, we were, we were at uh, Paleo FX. Have you ever been to Paleo FX, the, the conference down I in Austin? I haven't conference, but I have friends who've spoken there. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we are. We have our booth there and, and people come up to me and they go, mushrooms. I love mushrooms. This is so great. And the first thing I ask them, and they'll say, yeah, I'm taking this great mushroom supplement. I'll say, okay, well, what, what brand? They'll tell me the brand. I go, oh, well, I hate to tell you this, but you've mostly been taking grain starch. 
And they're like, oh my God, you, you gotta be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. You're taking grain starch thinking it's mushroom. So this is one of the issues you have to really be careful with when you are looking for a mushroom supplement. It is the mushroom that is producing the important compounds. And, and one of those that we should talk about is called a beta-glucan, but this is yep. so important in terms of yep. when you're looking for a supplement, because you know a lot of people think the supplement industry is not well-regulated. It is regulated like crazy, in terms of how they're made, how it's all put into capsules and bottles, but you can put grain powder into that. And, and you can part, call that yeah. grain powder organic. You can call it kosher. You can call it, oh, manufactured in a GMP facility. Yeah. All of those, it's still grain powder. So how do we tell the difference? Well, if it says made in the USA, that's one thing. That's yeah. one thing. The other thing is turn it over, look in the supplements facts panel. Does it say mycelium? Look in the other ingredients. Does it say myceliated rice, oats, something like that? Yep. Those are, and, and finally, if, you, if you're a, a scientist or oriented, <laughs> this is just like a, a home science project for your kids. Yep. <laughs> it's like buy a little bottle of iodine. There's a beautiful test called the iodine starch. Huh? I know this one from Kevin. Yeah, that's right. And so you did like a quarter cup of water. You you dump out maybe three capsules, four capsules. You stir it all up really good. Let it get nice and wet. Put in 10 drops of iodine. If it is grain starch, it will turn black. A mushroom will not turn. All you'll see is the color of that iodine for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So then looking in the direction of the actual, real, correctly made, correctly produced mushroom supplements, big, dumb question, but what are they good for? Why would well, we bother? What should well, we take for them? Well, you know what? The key benefit from mushrooms is what I would call immunological potentiation. And so, so there are these compounds in mushrooms called beta-glucans. There's been a ton, thousands of papers written on mushroom beta-glucans. And these beta-glucans, when we consume them, whether as a mushroom or through a supplement, they will activate certain cells we have in our lower intestine. And, and these particular receptor sites are actually receptor sites for these beta-glucans. It hits those receptor sites, then it will activate immune cells, macrophages, NK cells. So what mushrooms are really doing, and this is something that, that's important too, because you know a lot of us and a lot of people out there taking a supplement or anything, they think, okay, I'm going to take that aspirin and an hour, my headache's going to be gone. Yeah. Okay. And that's not how they work. They work in the same way, like you're going, I, I take a B vitamin, a D vitamin every day. I take a C vitamin every day, something like that. Or I take zinc. Well, you don't go, oh man, today that, man, that D vitamin really made a difference. <laughs> exactly. That's not how yeah. it works, everybody. Yeah. For most people, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so you have to think about it in the same way. 
we're taking that. It's just like when you put something in your diet, you don't say, oh, I feel so much better today because of what I had for lunch. You know, maybe you'll say, oh, that lunch was really great. It, it feels wonderful. But yeah. that's not something where you're going, my health has just improved or something, right? On the long term, sure. And that's yeah. the point. It's all about prevention. Mm -hmm. It's about what I call food as medicine. Yeah. And that's something that I totally believe in because I believe the foundation of our health is diet. Diet is the foundation. Everything else works from that. And, yeah. and sure, we have to have a good lifestyle. We need to exercise. There's a lot of components, but the diet is so crucial. And if everything that we're putting into our bodies through our diet is high quality food, supplements, whatever it happens to be, we're going to be doing much better than the people that are eating all those processed foods. Yeah. So, so when you're taking that mushroom supplement and saying, Oh God, I've got, a, I've, I've, I feel a cold coming on today. I better get a mushroom supplement and take it. And next day on Amazon, you're going, Oh wow. That mushroom really cured the cold that was coming on. I'm sorry. It doesn't That's, tend to work that way. No, yeah. it does yeah. not work that way. And I've yeah. seen those reviews and I'm just like, Oh my God. So what are some of the things that, you know, in particular, I mean, I know what I prescribe them for. And, and, and particularly, interestingly enough, with a lot of my clients that deal with mold, mold toxicity and mold illnesses, I use medicinal mushrooms a lot to help rebalance their immune system, autoimmune disease, gut imbalances. And then I don't treat cancer directly, but I have clients who are working with oncologists and then I do adjunctive supportive work, particularly if it gets to this point after chemo, after radiation, when we're rebuilding their immune systems. So yeah. I'd love to hear from you too. What are some of the things that you find? And I know there's that world of like, we can't make claims and with the FDA and I, if you have to just nod and smile, that's okay too. I'll let people know. <laughs> but if from your research and your understanding, what are some great applications that medicinal mushrooms make a difference for? Well, well certainly number one, I never make claims. We right. don't make claims in our business or anything. No, I, no sorry. <laughs> we don't nope. do that. But, but look, they have demonstrated that, you know, people who are actually going through chemotherapy or something, they should be taking a, a mushroom supplement because that will help maintain your immune system during the period when it's being torn apart. So and it doesn't decrease the effectiveness of chemotherapy. That's no. one of the like little mythologies that are out there that some of these liver supporting and immune supporting components that we can do in addition to actually, they've even had some research that shows it works more effectively because the body is able to target the cells more effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it absolutely is, is very positive. So, so certainly for, for that, I think generally speaking, when you have anything that, that can potentiate your immune system, that works in every way imaginable because we are constantly being challenged in some way. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that's how I, I also look at my, my philosophy of illness is, is, you know, okay, something's happening and I'm probably out of balance in some way. And now I need to try to meet that challenge. I do not like the idea. I've got to fight this thing yeah. to the bitter end. To me, that is just like, no, that's just a terrible way to look at all of this thing. So other things that mushrooms can do, reishi mushroom, 
fabulous mushroom. If there's any one mushroom that you should be taking, it would be reishi mushroom. And the reason is, A, it has the highest levels of beta-glucans. And you know what's, what's interesting is that in 2015, I did a study and I discovered a method that, that actually tests for beta-glucans. So we test all of our products for beta-glucans. Mm. And we've also tested all of the other pretenders out there for beta-glucans. So we know what level of beta-glucans, and we've been doing this testing for five or seven years. The amount of data we've got is just awesome, incomparable. And the, the mushrooms with the highest level of beta-glucans, which I found so interesting, is reishi and turkey tail. Mm. Both of them are at 50% or better in beta-glucans. Now, all of these, what we would call medicinal mushrooms or functional mushrooms, which is kind of what we use a little bit more today, will have levels of beta-glucans that are at least 25% or better. Reishi mushrooms, again, has the highest level along with turkey tail, plus it has bitter compounds called triterpenoids. And these bitter compounds are super positive for the liver, for the circulatory system. So you've got something in reishi that is much more broad spectrum mm. than some of the others, because although the others have the beta-glucans, reishi has these other compounds. It's also partially where some of that strong flavor comes from because of the bitter component, but <laughs> oh I, I love that stuff. I like food that's like intense. So I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes at a trade show, we'll do what we call the reishi challenge and we'll have some of these, what I call myceliated grain products. Mm -hmm. And we'll have some of it out in a little tray and then we'll have a, a bit of reishi extract there. And we'll say, okay, try that. And they'll taste some of these mycelium products and they'll go, Oh yeah, that tastes pretty good. Kind of sweet. That's right. Yeah. We call it the reishi. Well, it'll be sweet if there's starch in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the reishi challenge. And so I said, okay, try that. And it tastes and go, oh my God. <laughs> That's how you know it's the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we have these little spoons and some people like dip right in with a whole spoonful. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to be careful on that. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Take less than yeah. that because it's like, yeah, I, I look at it as almost concentrated bitterness, but, but you know, I drink black coffee, so I can put that reishi extract into my black yeah. coffee, and, and it's just another note uh, yeah. of, of bitterness in that coffee. It, it's great. It's fine. But, you know, most people prefer to, prefer to take it in a capsule. Yeah. But, no, reishi, I, I just consider that the number one if you're doing any single particular one. I mean, turkey tail is great, too. That's got a lot of good data on it in terms of immunological activity. So I, I certainly recommend turkey tail. Other, other specific mushrooms, like you probably heard of lion's mane. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's a really interesting mushroom because they've done studies with it. Actually, there's clinical trials with lion's mane where they give it to, where they have control groups. And, and they, they give the one group nothing more than three grams of lion's mane a day. And, and then they give all of the people a cognitive test. After 120 days, they give them the test again. The people taking the lion's mane test better. Hmm. Okay. This is, you know, these tests are whatever they are. You know, it's like, okay, that's interesting. They stopped taking the lion's mane. They tested them again 30 days later. They dropped down to baseline. 
And I thought, well, that's that's kind of cool. And they've they've been using Lion's Mane a bit too with early onset dementia. Yep. And so Lion's Mane has sort of caught on as a nootropic. Yeah. And, you know, that's a category now where, where anything that kind of enhances and, and they talk about it as kind of like hacking your, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> you know, biohacking I, to me is kind of a funny. I idea. recently saw an advertisement on one of the social media platforms for microdosing herbs, but it was like microdosing, <laughs> like, like ginkgo biloba and microdosing. Oh, no. And I started laughing and I was like, I think that's homeopathy. That's what we've been doing for 250 years. And it just cracked me up. I'm like, okay, you can repackage it any way you want. I'm like, sure. Microdosing herbs, otherwise known as low-dose homeopathy, crystal clear. (laughs) That is such a good point. And it was this whole world and they were in the neurotropics and all of it. So there, there is a little fanfare around some of these things right now. But so, I mean, we talk about the beta-glucans for the immunological potentiation and you dropped a couple terms in there that I'm familiar with macrophages and NNK natural killer cells. But just as a broad sweeping, generally speaking, macrophages are the garbage collectors of the immune system. They go around and they clean up cellular waste products, byproducts, broken down pieces of things. And so they're really, really important. And in cancer in particular, I'm going to pick on that just because it's an easy description, but it can happen even around other situations where there's a lot of cellular die off. One of the things with cancer is you have so much increased cellular activity by the cancer cells, you get increased metabolic waste products and the waste products start to go over to the liver and the liver gets bogged down and it can't keep up the brain fog, the fatigue, the difficulty being able to move forward with your energy levels. Part of that is the resource use of the cancer, but part of it is the excess waste products. So Mm -hmm. if you can get the macrophages to be amped up and doing their thing, that makes a big difference in those kinds of circumstances. Natural killer cells, similarly, their job is to roam around. We all have tumor cells in our body all the time. At any given moment in time, all people have around a thousand to 1500 little tiny spots kicking around and it's natural killer cells job to go and flag them and tag them and identify these as problematic when you have these little budding tumor cells for the rest of the immune system, natural killer cells come in, kill them and take them out. So one of the things that we look at in different immunological situations is, is somebody's NK count going down and are they having a difficult time mounting that response? So anything that can help bring that part of the immune system back up and taking it out further. And this is a thing I do a lot on this podcast is I talk about things I'm not totally hundred percent confident are true, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that we look at this increase in allergies, atopic issues, even people dealing with different levels from ADD, ADHD to other spectrum disorders of Asperger's and autism. We look at the amount of autoimmune disease that's on the rise, the amount of fibromyalgia that's on the rise, these areas of diseases that at one point in time, some of those were even considered non-illnesses. They weren't real diagnoses. Well, Chronic fatigue syndrome has now been solidified, thanks very much to COVID, as a real reality because this long COVID, aka chronic fatigue syndrome, they come from very similar places. Interesting. And viruses have a lot to do with being a root cause of chronic fatigue syndrome. 
most of these aspects of, and I don't entirely believe that ADD and ADHD is quote a disease. I think it's an adaptive physiology to what we're dealing with in our world, but there's aspects of inflammation and gut inflammation and toxicity regulation that can make it worse for people. They're canaries in the coal mine. So if you can mount, get the liver working, get the immune system working, it's better. Many of these aspects of the immune system function that goes awry in these illnesses come from the side of the immune system that is not antibody oriented. Antibodies being produced by predominantly B cells, it's T cell regulated. The T cells produce cytokines, which is some of what we're getting into. So I also think that there's this thing where in herbal medicine, we talk about the doctrine of signatures and how you can actually read the medicinal purpose of a plant based on where it grows, how it grows, the shape of the tree, what it does. It is interesting that medicinal mushrooms, both psychedelic and shamanic healing mushrooms and non-psychoactive healing mushrooms are quote on the rise right now. When you look at what they do in nature is clean mm. up toxins, mm. clean up and, and, and eat up the waste products in order to recreate new life. And we have so much of that happening in our world. And the kinds of illnesses that are on the rise don't fit into anybody's convenient boxes. And yet medicinal mushrooms are making a huge impact on that boosting the T regulatory system, helping support that side of the immune system that we've only just begun to get into. This is like the new wave in immunology because it's really inconvenient to study. <laughs> There's hundreds of cytokines and they all act in concert. It's like trying to listen to a piece of music if you had 150 musicians and figure out who's doing what. So we just haven't really gotten to it very much because it's expensive and difficult to study to pinpoint, but we're finding this world of impact in different disease management. And this seems to be particularly an area that medicinal mushrooms are, are really good at helping. Like Alzheimer's, we talk about it potentially being caused by excess toxicity at the brain level. Well, if you've got a mushroom that can help clean that up, like I'm curious, what is it in lion's mane that's able to make that impact on cognition? Well, you know, what they tell us is that lion's mane stimulates the production of what's called nerve growth factor. Hmm. And nerve growth factor is a, a compound that we produce and it helps to organize and in some cases even stimulate the production of neurons. So lion's mane will actually activate that or, or, you know, activate the production of it. And, you know, the, the issue is that as we age, we produce less of it. And so that's one of the issues that they've discovered with aging is that, okay, now we've got less of this particular compound being produced. So lion's mane, that's where a lot of the research has mm. demonstrated that fact. And, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, disease, a lot of disease, we have to understand it is created by a lot of societal conditions that are, you know, where, where the, the human organism gets stressed out for one reason or another, and then that manifests in, in actual physical disease. And, and that's something that, you know, is still, you know, not super well understood in terms of getting into any sort of cause effect type of thing. It's just like you mentioned AD, ADD or AHD. I mean, I look at all that and I just think, Jesus, here are these things where, what do they do? They prescribe drugs for these poor kids. And I, and I just think, why? Because this kid 
didn't didn't sit down at his desk yeah. all day long and he was too active and things like that and i just think you know kind of criminal in a way in my opinion and yeah. and there's there's just ways of dealing that and and just the way we're organized as a society has put us into these areas where we have these i would say societal fested diseases that you know and the other side of it too is is kind of creating these and calling these certain diseases and then you, you get an industry that is that is basically built up around it and and that that industry in a sense is almost self-supporting and, and propagation it wants, factor yeah yeah well yeah. It, it's like it's like cannabis being illegal so a lot of people go to jail for it and now these prisons are dependent on the jobs and 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 so they're nice. now <clears throat> they're now a lobbying group to keep the laws on the books and you don't want to you know continue with that so it's you know we're we're in many ways socially there's a lot of difficult issues that need to be resolved that issues that are creating disease i Absolutely. mean other than just the fact that we've got all of these processed foods plus the chemical agriculture that is involved and and present in yeah. all these foods yeah so fungicides <laughs> are one of the most toxic things that we come in contact with on a regular basis in how it shuts down mitochondrial function and it impacts our microbiome and that i mean and that's like you know all those grapes that don't mold and don't get fungus on them is because they're all sprayed with a post fungicide after they've been grown before they ship out there's i actually did a whole podcast episode with a scientist that that was one of his specialty specialties was how the fda and EPA have different regular, like, is it a food additive if it's put on after the completion of the product, or is it still considered part of the farming? They're calling it considered part of the farming, but it's technically gone on after the, it's, it's a whole complicated, and you get major politics involved in all of this that's not stemming from what's the healthiest thing for our population and going to make the biggest difference. For oh us. yeah. Well, yeah. well, and, and look to that point, <clears throat> when I went to the mushroom farm, they actually had a program that was, was designed by Penn state university where the only mushroom researchers in the country were. And this program was okay. At this stage, you use this chemical at this stage, you use that because it's a monoculture. Yeah. It's, inside a room and if you get like a certain fly in there it can turn over its cycles really rapidly and before you get through the end of your crop it is infested with flies and fly larvae not only that believe it or not we actually used fungicides because they had fungicides i mean because in a in a mushroom crop you can actually get molds moving in yep uh, not just into the crop itself like on the materials of the crop but in a lot of these old farms they used wooden shelves which after so, a of time i don't know if you know anything about this but you might <laughs> Okay. It's a very common thing when people are dealing with candida overgrowth and dealing with internal yeast imbalances and even mold toxicity that dietarily it'll be recommended to avoid eating mushrooms because there's like, I think a major misconception that those things are related to each other. Oh, oh my God. I, I, I've, you know, look, that's been around since the nineties and there is absolutely, if you go searching, there's absolutely, you cannot find anything anywhere 
it's actually, you know, you talked about the doctrine of signatures and I, I look at it as kind of the same thing. Oh, you've got a, a mold problem. Well, you can't eat a mushroom then. It's I mean, like, it, it never made any sense to me. And, and no, it's no. common. It's out there. It's like just this regurgitated recommendation that you'll see all over the place about stuff. Now, what's interesting is like cashews tend to be covered in mold. Almonds are, can often be covered in mold. Peanuts are notorious for being a moldy food. Sorry to tell you, chocolate and coffee are very often high mold foods, but mushrooms are not a high mold food. No, they're, 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 well, and look, the, I think the other thing that we have to understand is that, that mold issues generally are from breathing in the spores. So when you have people saying, oh, I've got a mold and it's in my house and it's because it's a damp conditions there. The mold is growing. The mold mycelium, what happens? It grows and then it sporulates. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you take that bread out of the package and it's been in there too long and you and all of a sudden you see this puff, this cloud, those are spores. So when people breed those spores, there's an allergic reaction. And they even have something called mushroom workers lung hmm. and the reason is that if you happen to be working in a in a farm that has is growing mushrooms where the mushrooms are allowed to mature and it's full of spores they're breathing in these spores every day for years and and they could end up having this particular condition so generally speaking unless of course unless you're talking about for example an aflatoxin yeah, yeah. Now, aflatoxin is basically a toxin that is produced by a mold and generally speaking, a mold on grain. The grain growers and companies dealing with grain, when they're storing it in large silos, they are very, very careful about not letting it get moist or anything because all it takes is a bit of moisture yeah. and the mold moves in because look, people don't understand, but, but we, we are living in a soup. It looks transparent. It's not. It's a soup. You you may see it occasionally when you're, let's just say, in a in a particular forest when the trees have all this pollen that is flying, and you see this yeah. dust Your target's uh, covered in yellow. And, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh -huh. exactly. Well, the what we live in there's bacteria, there are fungi, fungal spores you name it, that we're breathing in all the time, which is what we need to maintain a high level of immunity. It's just like there was an old expression, you have to eat a pound of dirt when you're a My youngster. immunology professor tells everyone to get a dog and then to lick the dog. Licking the dog is good for your T regulatory system. It helps rebalance parts of your immune system. But it's you know, actually, there's documented research that introducing an animal into the home has reduced children with chronic ear infections by 40% because they have more antigen coming in that helps actually support their immune system in those ways. So we need that exposure. And it's been interesting coming through the pandemic Many people have talked about how they haven't had very many colds as they used to in the last two years, but their allergies have gotten way worse. Well, wow. that's actually because we need human being exposure. We're supposed to be getting inundated with viruses and bacteria at a low level to keep everything in check. 
in order to actually keep our immune system strong enough. So the part of the immune system that causes allergies is a different part of the immune system that re reacts to viruses and bacteria. And when they get out of sync with each other, one goes off the charts, which is similarly to when you've got atopic kids that are dealing with tons of allergies, introducing the antigen is part of what actually helps keep their systems in balance. We oh, yeah. need it, the soup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we do, and you don't, it's like, the kid in the bubble, right? You don't want to yeah. be in a living in a bubble. Yeah. Uh, you have to expose yourself to everything out there. And, and, you know, I mean, you hope that you're not exposing yourself to toxic fumes living in a city and yeah. all of that. Yeah. And mold toxic illness is a whole specific thing. It has to do with the aflatoxins and specific exposures, and that's its own category. But I do see this misunderstanding that, that goes across in both sides. So can you speak at all about cordyceps? Cordyceps sure. is fungi versus mushroom. Is it a mushroom? Well, you know, cordyceps is really interesting. Wild crafted, <clears throat> the, the original cordyceps that they use in traditional Chinese medicine is wild crafted in Tibet. Mm -hmm. And it's called winter worm summer grass. What happens is a caterpillar in the fall, it will hibernate just under the ground. It will hibernate. While it's hibernating, those cordyceps spores are in the dirt that it's hibernated in. They will then infect the caterpillar. They will germinate and they will consume the whole insides of the caterpillar. <laughs> I'm now, thinking twice about my cordyceps supplement, but okay, now, keep going. Hold, hold on, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I, know, I know you're a vegetarian. You don't want caterpillar meat. I get it. <laughs> now, now in the summer, what happens is now the cordyceps will actually grow off the head of that caterpillar, which is which is basically vertical underground. Up yeah. comes this little, and it's like a little blade of grass. It doesn't look like a normal mushroom. It's a different type of fungus called an ascomycete. So it doesn't have gills and spores. But so that's what they harvest. They mm -hmm. harvest the caterpillar with the cordyceps. The caterpillar is part of it in traditional Chinese medicine. Now, now I have heard this actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> today, today we actually can cultivate cordyceps. So all the cordyceps that we sell and look, you know, in 1991, I was at Natural Foods Expo in Anaheim, California, and I had some cordyceps and I was walking around and I was like talking to other companies because I'm trying to educate people about medicinal mushrooms. Nobody's got a mushroom product. So I'm saying, well, there's this great mushroom called cordyceps and, and here, here it is. And they looked at it and, and it's like, you know, at that time it was a caterpillar with <laughs> <laughs> the fungus growing, the fungus out, of growing out of its head. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I thought, well, okay, whatever. And, and they looked at it and said, oh my God. They said, first of all, our customers are mostly vegetarians. <laughs> That's not going to go over well. <laughs> They're not going to eat caterpillars. Just don't tell them about what's in their peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at any rate, okay, that was a non-starter. Plus the fact that Today, cordyceps, that wild cordyceps is $15,000 a dried kilogram. Wow. It's the most expensive herb in the world. Nobody's going to be able to afford it. So about 10 years ago, scientists in Asia learned how to cultivate cordyceps. And now, you know, after years of not selling cordyceps, now we actually have real cordyceps without any insects involved. And it's a fantastic 
product. It's called Cordyceps Militaris. It's it, it's orange. It's yeah, beautiful. It's really Sarah, neat. I mean, yeah. it's just like crazy beautiful. And we and, recommend it a lot around it's it's an adaptogen, meaning that it helps balance our highs and lows. And so in terms of sympathetic dominance and nervous system imbalances, and particularly around adrenal <laughs> hypopituitary access. Uh, dysregulation, AKA being super stressed out all the time. Yeah. It's super supportive for helping regulate that system. Well, and, and look, I, I would say all of the mushrooms are adaptogenic. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Cordyceps. Now what, what it was used for traditionally was for what they called neurasthenia, which was just being tired, being, mm. uh, you know, you, you've been ill, you, you just, you know, energy less, you just can't seem to get over the last hump out of the, that disease that you had. So that's where they used it. And then they've also used it for high altitudes. They find just that it helps to, to stimulate the production or, or help our oxygenation and our utilization of oxygen. So that's the other place that they will use cordyceps. So, so in the marketplace, what happens, of course, is, okay, yeah, this is, goes into the athlete market or, or whatever it is. And so that's yeah. where our customers would, would use it. You know, you know right, the, the other one, too, that I'd like to talk about is chaga. Yeah, that was on my list too. Great. Well, and chaga is so interesting because it's not a mushroom. It's not hardly even a fungus. Believe it or not, chaga is actually what is called a canker. Hmm. It's a fungal infection of a tree. And that tree is fighting off this fungal infection because what happens and, and how fungi actually get into trees is a branch breaks off or something. And now you have an opening in the bark. So the fungal spores will be there because they're always out there. They will get in, they'll germinate. Now that mycelium is growing into the trunk of this tree. Well, the tree reacts by all of a sudden kind of pushing out from the bark. And as it's pushing out now, this canker will form. Anybody who's seen a chaga, it is a black, gnarly looking mass. You'd go like, what is that, right? It's just like so irregularly shaped and, and you're not going to eat it. Of course not. No, they, they, they used it traditionally for immunological, antiviral and stomach issues. But what I really want to say about chaga is look, all of a sudden in the last three or four years, Chaga is like the king of mushrooms. There's nothing it doesn't do. And I'm like, hold on a minute. You know, are we talking about a panacea here? Well, they'd like to say that, but yeah. I'm just like, beware, yeah. beware of that kind of hype because it's just been overhyped, totally overhyped. Yeah. If, if you have something like irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease, try Chaga. I, I mean, it could very well help you. It, it does definitely have antiviral properties, which is something you could look at it. You, you can't eat it. If you just had a, a chaga chunk, you'd make a tea out of it. And this, this is too, is where the, the people that are growing this mycelium on grain, it's like, here's a bag of mycelium on grain. Here's a chaga. Why, why do you say that bag of grain is a chaga? It's not, <laughs> you know, uh, getting because back to no that. There's no way just, you can make it that way. Well, yeah. no. And, and, and look, the, the thing I think people, because they're going like, ah, oh, what is this myceliated grain? Do you know what tempeh is? Yeah. Yeah. Tempeh is actual cooked soybeans with a fungus grown on it. Mm -hmm an imperfect fungus that is just mycelium. So when you're eating tempeh, you're eating mycelium. Cool. 
You know, it's a, it's a good food. That's what is being grown and sold as yeah. a mushroom yeah. is tempeh. And yeah. it's like, wait a minute. No. And you know, what's interesting, if you were to dry that tempeh out, which it looks all white from the mold, if you were to dry it out, it would be mostly soybean. Yeah, clear, clear. We're coming up on the end of time here, but I do have a question as much from my own experience as an herbalist is, you know, what can you say about the difference of like making a tea, the dried extract, or there's a lot of alcohol-based extracts for mushrooms as well? Is what is it just chooser's choice? Is there a difference in how they all work or quality? Well, well, you know what? I think it's important to do an extraction of a mushroom. A mushroom has a cell wall. 50% of that cell wall is beta-glucan, a lot of which is in the fiber. So really breaking it down somewhat in, first of all, we'll do a water extraction. Water extraction will take most of the beta-glucans out of a mushroom. It it will, will take most of the triterpenoids, but not all of them. So sometimes using an alcohol step with the water step works. We basically, when we extract, we extract two to three times at 90 degrees Celsius. Then we concentrate it down, blow off a lot of the water, the the fluid. We send it to a spray dryer. We end up with a spray dried powder. And and we do not try to to build up one compound. We want something to be as full spectrum as possible in terms of all of the compounds that should be there. We measure beta-glucans and a couple other compounds as markers to make sure that we've got what we want. One of the things I would say about, you know, there's a lot of these uh, tinctures out there. I'm not a big fan of tinctures because unless they are made properly and are, you know, like cloudy and full of goodness. You should see the bits. You want there to be bits of, you know, well, you, not, you, you know but at least a, an evidence. You do yeah. because yeah. most of them are just a very dilute fluid, a lot of which is alcohol, sometimes glycerin. And, you know, there's really a, not a lot there for what you're getting. So I'm really not a fan of those. I did have a very good friend who had a extraction company and his extracts. Oh man, they were just cloudy and thick and, oh, and, and he was, he was like, I want my extracts. I want you to feel them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I want you to feel them. I want them to be effective. And that's what I would say. Yeah. That's what you have to do. So there's only a couple of companies out there that I would ever recommend because of the majority of that stuff is very watered down. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I educate my clients in on a regular basis. The whole supplement industry is is a lot of times the raw materials more or less cost what they cost to make. And so if you have a cheap bottle of something, it's likely because there's not much of the real deal in there. And then when you actually compare now, some things it's hard to know because you can say, well, there's 150 milligrams of turmeric in this, but what part did they harvest? Is it pure root? Are there other parts of the plant? Is it actually, you know, and that's where you get companies of higher reputable level will actually measure the curcuminoids and say 25% curcuminoid or 30%, you know, and those kinds of things. But it takes a science degree to figure out some of this (laughs) stuff, which is why I'm a big fan of working with a professional who can actually help navigate that world. Cause like you said, it's highly regulated in a lot of ways. And then there's not as much attention paid on 
what's in the bottle in the capsule is actually the most medicinal, most useful component. So I just so appreciate your knowledge and your company stand. And we actually haven't mentioned the name of your company yet is Namex. And people can literally go to Namex.com. We will have that in the show notes, the information, including your full bio. And I just so appreciate that you guys exist and you're out there setting a standard for the industry and creating this because a lot of people will even say things like, oh, I tried supplements. I tried this. They didn't work. Well, (laughs) you can eat one baby carrot and you probably aren't going to end up with all the beta carotene you need your entire life, or you can have carrots as a part of your daily diet and you can really make a difference with your health. And, And so having people like you and your company out there with the science and the the proper hard facts to be able to make products that are going to make a real difference in people's lives and their health. I just so appreciate you so much. Well, thank you. And, you know, we, we really believe in analysis and being able to demonstrate that because look, you know what, there are a lot of in vitro tests and research that go on out there. And, you know, there are a lot of very common things that will stimulate the production of cytokines. I don't, you know, I don't really pay much attention to in vitro research and, and a lot of companies, just the smallest little things, they will pull that on and say, Oh, see, it it does this or it does that. It's like, that's just in vitro. It doesn't really make that, you know, it's great for building up a body and multiple scientists doing it. Maybe you, you get some info out of it, but otherwise for me, it's like, look, I will guarantee to you that it's hundred percent mushroom, that it has the compounds that are supposed to be there that are the beneficial compounds. That's what I want to tell my customers. Yeah. And, and that's very important to me. That is just quality control. And if companies aren't doing that, then they could be selling you anything, including grain powder. Yeah. Crystal clear. Thank you, Jeff, so much for contributing all of your wealth of knowledge. And I just appreciate you and everything that you've been able to educate us on today. Well, you're very welcome, Dr. Marshall. And I I love what you're doing as well. I think it's just fantastic. There's people like you out there. And I, I have, you know, a lot of gratification that, you know, it's like my sons who work in the company and they're totally into diet. They're totally yeah. into exercise. They really get it in terms of what it takes to stay healthy. And to have someone like you out there as well. I, I mean, that's what we need because it's it's a very difficult world for somebody to to eat right and do the right things when it's so easy just to, you know, have a sweet drink and a salty snack. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, until we get to do it again. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. Thank you for today's guest, Jeff Chilton, for his commitment to integrity and education. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.